Hello. How are you doing? I think tonight we're going to talk about behavior. You know, everything in life is psychology. Did you know that? Whether you want your dog to change their behavior or your kids or yourself. What is it? What is it that uh, trust-based relational um, intervention, TBRI, says? What is the need behind the behavior? Okay, so this first picture that we have, y'all know this already, right? That you really cannot separate sensory um, a piece in their own skin, the vagus nervous system, um, uh, attending, joint attention, midline crossover, the data getting delivered to the brain, the dendrites firing, methylation in the body, movement-based learning. That's a lot of sensory stuff there. That's the learning machine. You really cannot separate that from, um, it's not separate from learning. They have to have some overlap. They're not 100% the same thing, but there's definitely overlap. And then we add in behavior, right? So we're just going to explore some ideas. As I said, it's it's all psychology. So whether you've taken some courses or read books, which sadly I've read almost every self-help book there is in the world of um, overcoming codependency and in co-parenting and in all of that, would you like to see my bookshelf? I promise. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I find human psychology just amazing because it fits into motivation. It fits into why does anybody do anything? And if we can understand what their needs are and why they do it, then we just have the key to unlock understanding. Now, we don't really have the, the, the uh, power to change someone's behavior. Really, each individual brain is going to decide what their behavior choices are. We might be able to influence them, right? We might be able to um, help motivate them toward the light, toward watering the flowers instead of watering the weeds. Um, as an example, today has been a little bit rougher than usual with the whole um, trying to homeschool with my son John and his, uh, his strengths and not strengths. <laughs> So we finally had to bail on the worksheets, but he got a whole bunch of nice social-emotional movement-based learning with neurotypical peer modeling. So you know what? I call that a good. I call that a good day, right? So if your kids are, well, remember we're still in the self-quarantine time, right? And maybe in the history you're going to listen to this and you're going to go, "What are you talking about?" And I hope that is true. I would love you to have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Um, but for those of us who are trying to work through our normal, you know, day-to-day -day stuff, plus helping our kids move toward the light at the end of the tunnel of learning and, and uh, self-regulation and self-control and making good choices and sticking to their list and doing what they need to do and character is what you do and no one's looking and mom should not be the one nagging and I don't want you cheating on your devices and if I catch you cheating on your devices, I'm going to have to hide them on you and then, oops, dad gummit, all of a sudden, you're in extrinsic motivation, right? And you started off with the greatest of intentions, but you just like slip down the slope. Remember, we talked about the slippery slope of all that. So those are some of the uh, challenges that uh, our families are wrestling with right now. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about behavior. All right, so we're going to click on to the next box. And um, what I want you to think about is the fact that uh, there might be some areas in between, but really my point here is that 
there's something on one end of the spectrum and something else on the other end. Like they're diametrically opposed, complete opposites, uh, yin-yang kind of a thing. Now, black-white, now there might be a sh shades of gray in behaviors, but for the point here I want to make is that if the one you're trying to help support, um, uh, focus, redirect, the person, let's say it's your kid, but it could easily be somebody taller than that. Um, so if they are sensory seeking, then their behavior to you will be um, drama based, right? They're going to get in your face. They're going to do uh, whatever it takes to be seen. Uh, we would call that in raising kids negative attention seeking. We would call that developmental delay in their responses. We would call that emotional an emotional child. We could also easily call it drama king, drama queen, codependent. Um, but let's not get into labels, right? Okay, so it's just, they they want you to look at them. They want you to notice them. Okay, so the other end of that would be uh, someone who uh, just doesn't ever want to draw attention to themselves, right? So that's that little guy there in the gray box. And I have a, uh, I have a child who's definitely an introvert. And I'm not saying stereotypical that every introvert is sensory averse, but it could certainly follow that way, right? So my, my Saxton just really doesn't want any kind of attention. And with John, I think he's back in that first box. I mean, not that he's going to be an adult female yelling like that, but he's a kid yelling sometimes. And he, his stem is attention seeking. All right. Now, if his stem was just to be quiet in a corner, well, then that would be, that would be sensory averse, um, uh, stemming and quiet and, like escaping and sometimes he does sneak off and escapes but you know man if he's if he's trying to get like he, I'm on the telephone or I'm on a zoom call or anytime we parents are distracted with something else and they're just dying to be right in the smack dab in the middle of it I'm going to hear a bunch of audible zoo noises and I say John you know if you if you want to attract attention if you want those kids to pay attention to you you are going to have to use sentences because as I've said before I just am not going to go quietly about, oh, let him just, you know, if he needs to stem, let him stem. I don't believe that. I believe that he's made good progress because there are strict boundaries and because, hey, dude, water the flowers, not water the weeds. That's called stemming. You got to label it and then you put a boundary on it. That's called stemming. You can go do that in your room or do it in the bathtub when I can walk away. But I don't want him doing it at school or on the school bus or attracting negative attention out in the world at the mall at the grocery store why would I want people to think that he is less than he is all right and if he's just making a, a dumb decision because of developmental delay and the brain's not wired to understand unintended consequences and he looks like he's stupid would I want people to have that thought and underestimate him every second of his life so we're back to my pretty, cons well, I'm pretty strict. I've been taught to be pretty strict and I am, I just got to be 110% consistent. And we go back and if it's, he does it wrong, then we will go back and do it correctly. And I will tell him, or he will say, that's the way I need to do it all the time. Even if we have some social um, uh, um, uh, apologies to make, right? And I, I'll say, if he won't say it, then I'll say it like back in the early, early days of ECI, when you help them with their words, then I will give him the sentence and then he can say it after me. So he gets a chance to, to do it the right thing. But if he makes me, you know, tighten up the thumb screws on a really bad behavior and 
and I can't just walk away with no consequences. Like I've said earlier, if I am at home and I can just walk away from the drama and just like roll my eyes and let him see that I'm not, I'm not falling for your trap, mister. You're not going to manipulate me like a puppet show. Then I'll, I'll do that and I'll do it with a smile on my face and we'll make a joke out of it. But if we are out in public or we are in front of peers or we are in a situation where he could repeat that because he, he got away with it the 13 times and then, oh, well, hey, the next... 437 will be just fine too. Mom, let me get away with it. Well, I'd, I'm, I love him too much to let him get into that kind of a cesspool. So anyway, that's a little bit of, it's over too much information about my two kids and not just how that, um, how that, that depends on their motivation and maybe their personality. But let's go back to that, uh, that thought down there on the bottom. It, they might, they might alternate a child, let's say we're talking about your child, the one you're here listening to this podcast for. And let's say 75% of the time, they might be sensory seeking, right? So you've got um, that expectation of how to redirect and what their behavior is going to be and how you shouldn't blow your stack and let your bucket bubble over. Um, but then there's going to be 25% of the time that they'll, just in this example, they might switch and do it the other way around. Or switch those and say, okay, here's my sensory averse child who's usually very quiet. And now all of a sudden, because of whatever reason, he's, he, she, they, they're acting differently. And I don't know how to cope with it. And what's my knee jerk going to be? Because I, my, my bucket's too far to the top and I, uh, I'm overreacting and I'm overprompting and I'm filled with fear and worry about, you know, at a short leash and I'm keeping everything on a really tight rein and I'd have no risk tolerance in my heart for him, her doing a dumb thing and then getting laughed at. Um, I'm going to overreact, right? And that won't be very good. So what's their motivation and what's my motivation? So the idea is that if I'm, in the next slide I'm going to, further on this point. Um, but let's say that I'm trying to maintain control or a particular image in my neighborhood or among social media posts or within my family. And I'm trying to control what people think about me. Well, we already know that's never going to fly, right? So um, let's click on to the next slide. I'm going to keep talking about this piece here. So let's say again that here I am trying to be the controlling um uh, power. Well, the only who's the only person I have any power over to control? The one that looks back at me in the mirror, right? So I might have some opportunity to redirect my kids or the kids I'm in the area with uh, or I'm helping to be in charge of. But really, I, I can only offer them suggestions. Um, I, can, I cannot even control the, the behavior or the motivation of my dog, right? Poor old Spike. So an old man beagle. That's what I, we've got here. The bad hip. Um, okay, so let's look at this slide here. So as far as talking about positive behaviors, and let's focus on that, right? Let's water the flowers. Let's not water the weeds. Let's name it and then set a boundary on it for our kids. And let's call it with respect, whatever it is, um, and then have a plan. To, to deal with it. So we're not just, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about this? Because I remember back in those early years of John and his diagnosis, and I remember being in car line about to pick him up, and I remember being panicked about 
oh my gosh, I need to intervene. I, I'm being taught all this stuff. I'm on a vertical learning curve of trying to absorb everything I can about what does autism spectrum from immune system to behavior to learning. What is the, what is this hole we have fallen into? And I remember feeling like if I let my kid down, I let me down. I was just so nervous because I was not prepared to pick him up and to intervene on whatever was going to happen. I didn't have enough um, uh, tools in my tool chest or I didn't have enough experience on redirects or I didn't have faith in myself to be flexible. I probably was far too into the controlling of it instead of humor, laugh, and treat him just like a regular kid. You know, that's the thing with us therapy parents. That's why we have to be so careful about the um, the snowplow parenting and the helicopter parenting and the um, lawnmower parenting and the over-parenting and no risk-taking and keeping my little kiddo safe all the time. Because that's how we survived in the very early years. And then as the kids develop toward the light, toward their futures, then we got to let go. And that's not what we got comfortable with, right? And then we've got, we have to deal with our own sense of fear, our own motivation, our own behavior. So anyway, back to the, the, the point here on this slide. So what if in this whole thing of trying to help the best behaviors come to light, in whatever relationship that we have, and if we're talking about the adult teacher, child, parent to a child, what if the best way, really the only way, to change the behavior of someone else, and that we hope then would trigger their intrinsic motivation, right, to keep doing the right thing, and not just because I'm standing there, but to do it because it makes them feel good about themselves. And then we're right back to in the flow and um, uh, all the peace and the joy and the filing system in the neural pathways. And I want to keep that thought for next time. So baby, I'm going to file that in a file cabinet where my dendrites can, can easily get it when I need to retrieve it. So what if the way to, to change the behaviors of others, which if we say the situation's going south and we don't, oh, oh we're, we're on a slippery slope here and we, we want them to have the best behaviors because we want them to build the best neural pathways, which then build the best habits, which then build the best automatic adult life that they can have. We want them to have intrinsic motivation and all the goodies that come with that. What if I'm my own worst enemy? What if I need to look at what I'm thinking, if what I'm saying, and then what I'm doing, right? Because it all is going to start with my thoughts. So for that little kernel of when I, when I start to think about any particular subject, do I have the best thought about it? Am I considering, okay, let's make sure that we, from a risk-taking standpoint, what's he going to have to teach himself? Or what is my daughter going to have to teach myself? Or what's my child or these kids I'm working with? What is my classroom? What do I want them to teach themselves? Because if they will listen to their own feedback and do their own critical rethinking, then you are right up on the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Up in self-actualization. They're, they're paying attention to what they have control and power over. And they're going to be at... Well, they're going to be their best self, right? So I have a little, uh, see my little frogs there? I, uh, I, I like those frogs. <laughs> I made those frogs. Okay, I didn't mean I didn't draw the frog, but the idea there with the, the thought bubble and everything. So meta, cognition. Meta, myself, me, cognition, I'm thinking. So I'm thinking about my thinking. So when you see those the frog with thinking about the, the frog, what I'm hoping you remember is, oh, 
oh yeah, will our kids, or will I, if that's the case, will I be self-aware enough to realize what is that I'm doing, saying, thinking, but in a different order, right? What am I thinking, saying, doing that is good, that's going to help me motivate someone else intrinsically, help them be their best self? Or am I just, you know, headed toward power structure failing because I'm trying to control stuff when there's no way because then they're, they're their own prisoner and they think they're my prisoner and the whole thing is going to go down in the toilet. So am I willing to look in the mirror? Am I willing to look at what it is that I do badly and then just change it, right? And if it's, if it's, it's, if I need to apologize to the kids, I will. If I need to apologize to a, a person, an adult, I will. Because you know what the worst thing is, is that constant string of chain sending of guilt. I just hate having guilt. And I would much rather, but that's my personality, it's so much easier to just apologize and say, you know what, I screwed up, I'm sorry, please accept my apology. That's done, and then I can move on and not just, you know, keep wishing I had said that over and over. So that's my little two cents worth there on uh, on regret. Because you know what I want to, the way I want to die as an old lady, I want to be sitting there in my rocking chair and I want to have the fewest number of regrets. I want to be sitting there thinking, wow, that was great. There's really nothing I should have done that I didn't. I don't have any regrets of what I wish I had said to somebody or I wish I had apologized or I wish I just zipped it. That's how I want to be an old lady. Okay. So now we've, we've clicked forward to the next slide. All right, we have some examples here from the life of John. And in this case, I, I styled this um, self-control, self-regulation when I needed him to stop moving. So that's a behavior, behavior choice. And, and so if you've got a kiddo that's sensory seeking, all right, holding still, yikes. Um, today we were working on chores and we... His motor planning and his ability to, I mean, he, he, he can't even roll down a hill in a perpendicular way, right? With the fall of the land, he kind of curves around. I mean, his three-dimensional GPS is, uh, for his motor planning is, is, I mean, he can find his way in and out of parking lots, in and out of streets. So it's so bizarre that his midline crossover in his, his body from within his skin is so cattywampus that you can't just get him to lay down on a hill and just roll downhill. The last time I've seen him do it, he got curved around and started going back up the hill again. Bless his little heart. So, to, like today, so he's trying to vacuum a rug. And there's a lot of motor planning that goes into these little upright vacuum cleaners. And it's really hard to pivot it, right? So if you, depending on if you're trying to do a lawnmower kind of a pattern, right? So it's it's great that they got these big wide stripes, which happen to match pretty much exactly the width of the the rectangle that sits on the ground, right? The floor piece. So it's an upright with a, a little rectangular piece on it. And <laughs> every time we work on it together, I'm amazed that he just can't get this concept of going in a straight line. Um, and then he, he was always fidgeting. And I said, no, I want you just to stand still. I want you to just stand still to prove you can. And then we had to do something else that he didn't, another chore, and he was just constantly wiggling, sitting down, anything he could do other than just be still and stand and wait. Prove to yourself you have the self-control. Okay. So here's some pictures as in his earlier years. Um, so the blood pressure there, you see the one in the Batman shirt? 
That's one of our biomedical doctors, and um, that's the intro, right, to the blood pressure. And he's doing okay. He's he's actually so used to mom taking this photograph that I think he, that ham in him bubbles up. So yay for that, right? Yay for me. Um, but so he's okay with the blood pressure. So he's not going to be a really tight squeeze on the arms. And and I will be telling him, and I did back then, and also the the healthcare, the nurses, will be explaining to him why what's going on. But that's pretty big, strong force, and that's great that he's sitting there still. Wonderful. All right, um, the buzzers, the buzz clippers, kind of fits in with the same story as uh, the blow dryer. So these loud noises in the early days, sensory averse, they really would just totally freak him out. And so in the early years, his hair was ragamuffin and, you know, his school pictures, I just, oh, um, I'm sorting family pictures right now. And uh, I'm, I just look back on those early years in elementary and he is just so raggedy haired because he hated haircuts. And I had to sneak up on him with a pair of scissors. And you know how good mom's going to do with a pair of scissors on a kid's head that doesn't want to be cut. Even in the bathtub, you know, I, I even tried to go cut his hair when he was sleeping. So, and then, a, so the, the deal with the buzz, uh, buzzers there, right? So I, I buy them and he sees me doing it uh, for the uh, the older kid. He saw me going to the uh, hair place, the hair salon. And oh, you, there, we're, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. See the bottom left-hand corner there? He's got the black cape on and he's in the red chair there getting his hair cut. So the first time he was ever getting a store-bought haircut, he saw me sitting there, and I was just praying, please, dear God, let me get a haircut before he starts cutting loose, right, busting the move there in the salon. Um, and he, he did the opposite of what I expected him to do. I sit there just calmly, just trying to, you know, count backward from 3,000. And uh, I said, hey, John, you want one of these? You want to get your hair cut here? He said, yeah. And the, 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 the uh, professionals there running the, um, the scissors, they were so awesome to him. We've had Miss Dell, we've had Miss Monica, we've had a, a number of other people that have just really gone the third extra mile um, to m make a haircut a good experience for him. All right. So he's happy there. Wahoo, right? And now back up to the buzz, uh, the clippers there. So they're in the house. And I would turn them on. And eventually he picked it up. Now, we're, this is weeks, right? Or months or like a span of a number of haircuts. It's not like the first time he saw it and heard it that he picked it up and couldn't wait to put it up against his skin. Not that. But the fact that he was moving toward the light on his sensory integration is a great thing, right? We want our kids to keep moving in the right direction. So anyway, there he is. And um, working on his own haircut. So now whenever he needs a haircut, he gets the choice. I said, you want to go to the store or do you want me to do it? So we go, whichever one he says. And um, so that's great. He has to hold still, right? <laughs> Please, dear God, hold still, kid, because I'm using scissors on your hair. I'm using clippers on your hair. This is not a time to wiggle around. Okay, so the next one, then you see the two feet on top? <laughs> two feet, the two feet there. So again, not his strength to just hold still. So I think this was, it looks like that's gravel. I remember this happening outside on some kind of a gravelly um, surface where he, he, he was moving, wiggling, not doing what I wanted him to do. And words were just, he was drowning in words. They were doing nothing. So I just put my foot on his. I did nothing other than just put my foot on his foot. I've written some blog posts about it.
said, we're not moving anywhere. I'll wait until you're ready. <laughs> it works. It works. It still works. It's so funny. It just a, It's a change-up pitch, right? And he gets some sensory input, and then I'm making some jokes about it, and it's kind of an unexpected thing. So feel free to try any of these. That's why I'm sharing. Okay, now moving on there to Mr. Headphones. Again, back to one of our biomedical doctors, and they would collect evidence-based data back in the early years um, before we did all the genetics and the genome stuff, which we're doing now. But back in the early years, it was all vestibular input, proprioceptive, test results, balance. And in this case here, they're beeping in the ears and they're measuring the, um, the response of the eardrums and the other parts of the ear. And then they mapped that out and then they made some evidence-based um, um, uh, calculations on our methylation, our immune system. So every time we went, well, actually the first few times we went there, it was a wrestling session. And I remember him sitting on my lap and I'm, he's just screaming and yelling. And I'm, of course, if he screams and yells, that, that just totally undermines the test because you got to have quiet to hear the beeps and let the machine do its stuff. But I remember him fighting and I remember holding those earplugs in his ears and you think I would, she was chopping off his fingers. It was just so uncomfortable in his own skin. And that's how he was when we started the quantum reflex integration, the cold lasers, the QRI. You'd think I was torturing him, but it's just, if, if their dendrites, if their sense of in, um, a sensory integration is so off and it's so painful on the inside for them, and if he's twisting his fingers all the time, what kind of a hell is that for our kids, right? So there's some simulations of what sensory integration massive challenge meltdown is. I don't know what that's like personally. I, I, I'll listen to the simulations. Um, I'll, you know, I had, there's a game we play when I do workshops. Uh, I, get, I make these little baggies of one earplug, a bunch of toothpicks, um, one glove, uh, a Chinese finger puzzle, and then I bring a bag of eyeglasses. And I make everybody in the class take off their glasses if they're wearing them, hand their glasses to someone else, and then they get one glove on, pick your dominant or non-dominant, either one's fine. Then you put on a, put one earplug in and your toothpicks in your mouth. So what we're doing is we're affecting their expressive speech. We're affecting their balance, their hearing, um, their tactile, their touch. Um, the uh, eyeglasses is going to affect the vestibular, the, the, the sight. And uh, then there's a sensory ick factor that, you know, what? I'm going to wear your glasses? I don't want your glasses. Um, or <laughs> something that I pull out of my big old baggie of uh, glasses and it's got one eye popped out or something, you know. A busted uh, readers, uh, sunglasses that aren't there anymore. Those, uh, you know, x-ray ones from the movie theater, the 3D things. So I have this bag of tricks, all these different kinds of optic, um, uh, ocular devices. If you watched National Treasure, an ocular device. There Eyeglasses. So I got a bunch of radial eyeglasses and I hand them out and I mess up people's sensory and then I have a, a script that they get to read and I yell and I scream at them. I don't scream, I just yell. I flick the lights on and let them have a little few moments of sensory hell. 
And I always apologize. I say, forgive me for doing this. But the idea is that if if they can kind of feel what that's like, then we might react in a different way. And then my behavior might be more empathetic and maybe help them toward what they need to do, what they really want to do. They um, making a good choice, right? Because they're definitely challenged. They're definitely overloaded. um, But somehow they got to rise above that. They've got to build the dendrites to go through that. They've got to strengthen the the weak dendrites, the, the, make, make strong habits of, and, and they will be. Otherwise, he wouldn't be picking up the clippers. This stuff works, okay? Methylation and detoxing works for our kids to learn how to be at peace in their own skin. When we first were diagnosed in the spectrum, he was making zero glutathione, number one neurotransmitter, right? So if our kids have a, a, a just an over overburdened immune system and they can never clean out the goo, well, then they're just going to be on fire all the time. We got to help them with that. Okay, so let's now bump down to karate there. And great opportunity. Martial arts, we've been at it for years now. And he's, his form and his strength and, you know, he is, he's on the low end of the totem pole there, but baby, he loves it. And we've been through Taekwondo and karate and Brazilian Jitsu, and now we're back at karate. And um, he can't kick. His, his his motor planning is off. See him do jumping jacks. He's just jumping up and down. You'd think after all of these years, it would be faster, but it's just not. Um, so I don't think he's fake, and I don't think he's manipulating it. I think we just he was given a gift of of just really being deep in the spectrum. And uh, I'm supposed to do something about it. So anyway, here we are. So uh, lots of good things to say about martial arts. This is their standing, their listening position. And they need to s- s- listen. They take that stance and they zip it. And then they're going to be in a, it's like a um, attending, right? Joint attention, listening to the, the teacher. So that's listening position. Get your kid to do it. <laughs> And then hold it. And then walk away. Go go to the bathroom finally, right? Come back. Hey, good. Awesome. You're still in listening position. Oh, there's another thing that we do at martial arts. And um, we're, I'm doing it again now instead of nagging. Did I tell you about planking? You know what planks, planking is, right? That there's many different ways to do it. But um, the, the boy way the uh, from your toes and then a flat surface and head up. So it's like a prone position, and then you're on your elbows, elbow forearms. So they they'll do planking as far as as in the in warm up calisthenics, but it also works great if your kid's making poor choices at home. Like he'll be on this, he'll be on the the Zoom meeting for OT, and he's making poor choices because he's squawking like a monkey, and just you know I, I'm listening to him be disrespectful and. I know the the uh, therapist can certainly handle the situation, but it just bugs me that he's being so disrespectful and he thinks he can get away with it. Because it's not cute now, and it surely is not going to be cute when he's 25, 30, doing stuff like that. He will be persona non grata in, in civilization. He will have Zippo friends, and you know, it'll, it'll be back on good old mom because she was just too easy back in the day. So what I do is when he's making a poor choice and I'm not trying to interrupt, I just want to get his attention without saying things. I just want to kind of just poke him a tiny bit. I I have a pad that I write plank across the top and then I just make a tick mark, you know, like you do one, two, three, four, and then five goes across. And, uh, And then every time he does it, I just quietly walk up, put another tick mark. So, um, and then we plank. And uh, mom needs to tone up too, so uh, we'll plank together. 
and I let the uh, therapist know, hey, he's earning planking minutes. And it's just so much better than nagging or threatening or, you know, taking something away. It's like, hey, dude, you're planking. Let's go right now. And then I give him the honor system. He can run the timer on his phone, so one minute for every infraction. If he needs to pause it because he's breaking form, hit pause. And then hit resume and go back at it. And you're not cheating, you know, you're not going to like lean up against the sofa. And if you want to do instead some of the, there's a few other types of exercises where you're really crossing midline. You know, it's like you're laying on, on your back and you're doing cross, crosswalk curls kind of thing. Or if he wants to do supine Superman, I'll let him count that. So he might vary up them. Uh, but if, hey, if he's been on a tear and made some really bad choices, he's got about five or six minutes of good calisthenics he's accrued. And he's going to do them. <laughs> Okay, so the next thing I want to show you there is um, the one about him brushing his teeth. And there was a time when he couldn't uh, move uh, his body to the tooth, though he couldn't move his toothbrush to the to the uh, to this teeth. Move it around like you would brush brush your teeth. You put it in your mouth, up down up down. Move it around. But it was so much oral defensiveness with that trigeminal nerve system there that uh, he would actually grip it with two hands like a flute. And we had to move. I had to have him bend his knees down, up down up down up to get the right motion. And then here you see. He's, he's wiggling around on me. So you see how I got my legs wrapped around him in the bathroom? Hold still, mister. Look in the mirror, and now we're going to practice. Because eventually he's going to have four teeth taken out, and eventually he's going to want braces, and eventually he's going to have um, the... Um, that, uh, it just It's not a really good enamel on his, so we're working on all of those. But he also has zero cavities, because one of the good things about being orally defensive is that, uh, ooh, sugar candy, hard candy, gum, are you kidding me? Lollipops, what's that? That's a, those are the work of the devil. Um, now, he will do cookies, and um, occasionally I've seen him do a cupcake, but really uh, he's just not developed the taste buds for the sweet. So, hey, I'm, I'm not complaining one bit. So he's pretty tall and lean, and I'm not so sure that his body is processing all the nutrition out of the food and the supplements it, that he takes. So um, his mitochondria is on the short end of the stick. Um, his, his calves are not very developed. But he's getting taller, so we, I know we got growth hormone. You, you just be glad for what you got. But anyway, there we are, brushing teeth. I'm trying to get him to hold still. I'm trying to show him how he can move his body, which also includes moving the brush right? And I'm, uh, sometimes you, you don't see it there, but I'll have his hand on the handle and I'll be trying to guide it. It's like trying to cut. Does your kid still have problems trying to cut his food with a knife and a fork? 13 years old and he's still wallowing it into pieces. You know, he, he's great about using the wrong side of the, of the blade. So we got the serrated up at the top and then we're just kind of trying to cut with the blunt part. So I have to help him flip that over and he'll stick his fork into it or he'll get the tans mixed up. It's Right now, we can kind of slop through a pancake, cutting it up, maybe some French toast. But if it was really critical, you know, to save his life, he'd, it'd be in his fingers. He'd be picking it up. And um, so that's another thing that we're definitely working on. So this oral motor stuff, midline crossover, fine motor. What are those fingertips for? Are you kidding me? I got fingertips, really? You're kidding me, right? Um, Okay, and so then the last picture there I want to show you, we, that's a clinic downtown Houston, and he's actually on the other side of the glass. He's on the street side. You have to kind of look at where he is with the door frame there, but um, Saxon and I are on the inside. We're waiting for the doctor. It's uh, um, not John's visit, 
And he'd been having some behaviors, and he said he wanted to go out and be by himself. So, okay. So he goes out the door. And we've been practicing boomerang. So I was pretty comfortable with that. But that is traffic right out there. That's, you know, Midtown Houston traffic. That's the street. That gray stuff is street. And uh, so he plops himself down, and I'm watching, but I'm... I'm respecting his risk there, uh, his wanting to be independent, his wanting to be a big boy, his wanting to see if I'm going to let him. I'm not trying to escalate any behaviors. I'm trying to make sure that I'm helping him find his own peace, his own center, at, even at the risk of cars, right? So we've been practicing what's danger uh, and um unintended consequences and don't get hit, right? Um, anyway, there he is. So that, whether that's self-control or whether that's behavior or whether that's motivation to calm himself, to decide, okay, I need to get away from anybody that's inside this building. And so I'm going to go out to the street level and on this, the other side of the glass. And that's what I want to do. So bye, mom, I'm going to go do it. And I need to let him. Because that's what he's doing with his behavior and that's what he wanted to do to calm down and to, um, or just to be independent. I mean, he didn't tell me what his motivation was. I could give you the top five or ten guessing, but he never did. Do our kids tell us why? Do our kids explain their motivation to us? Most adults aren't self-aware to know why they're doing something. And that would be a beautiful thing to keep looking in the mirror. at If you only have control over yourself, and your behavior reflects on everybody around you, can you, can I, can I be self-aware enough to realize why I'm doing something? My, my, my um, motivation, right? And then how does that motivation translate into my life? What am I thinking about? What am I saying? What am I doing? Remember what Fulgram says, the guy who wrote everything you needed to learn in kindergarten? No, everything, in, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Remember? He's a classic. And one of his quotes that I, I love is, don't ever worry that your kids are not listening. Worry that they're always watching. So this modeling, if we can model the self-awareness of mindfulness, of calm and, and realizing, why am I doing this? Is it because I think I need to win? Or is it because I have fear? Or is it because I, I just... I I have a bad habit because that's what my parents did before. And right now I'm just puffing smoke so much and I'm just knee jerking to my old habit of an old neural pathway of that's how I was raised. So that's my knee jerk reaction when the shit hits, excuse me, when the stuff hits the fan. Anyway, so it's, it's a great um, thought to watch yourself, for me to watch myself. And we're right back to the topic of behavior then, and as it fits into motivation, but really behavior, learning, social emotional learning. Um, yeah, sensory, right? Yeah, is it, um, is it peaceful in my own skin? Am I happy I'm here? Do I make good choices? And am I a blessing to, to the people around me? Am I a role model? Are you a role model? All right. Peace be with us. Thanks for your time.